And we are live with Jenna Belk. <laughs> Hi, Jenna. Hello, Kenneth. How's it going today? Pretty good. I love Fridays. You, you're a busy, a busy bee on Fridays. Yeah. So for those who aren't aware of who Jenna is, who may be living under a rock or don't have internet connections, um, Jenna, you are very active with the ACA, the Atheist Community of Austin. How many different shows have you been on with the ACA? Five? Like all of them, right? Six. I think yeah. I think all of them, almost. And most often we catch you on the Atheist Experience mm -hmm. at this point. But then you also, on your own, you've got a number of a number of projects. Um, you lead people in like daily meditations, mm -hmm. which people can find you if they follow you. That's primarily through through Twitch, right? Is it would be the place. Yeah. Um on Fridays, you do a live painting show which makes you very unique in the world of online skeptic content creators. I think you're probably the only one who does that. Will you describe carrot noises for, for everybody? Yeah. So I, you know, kind of wanted to do kind of a spinoff of Bob Ross, um, only obviously a little bit different. So instead of happy trees, it's happy yellow. So I'm doing kind of an abstract live painting thing where we also figured out how to do a live voice chat while I do it. So it's even more unique in that I'm not just talking to a screen. I'm actually talking yeah. to people. Yeah. And it's an awful lot of fun. Um, yeah. It's usually, you, I mean, every time I've been able to, to catch it, which is pretty frequent, um, it's been it's been great. Um, and then what else do you have? You've got Atheostasis. Mm -hmm. Atheostasis is released weekly. Yeah. You just did a big talk about morals, which mm -hmm. is kind of what I really am hoping we can like dig in on today too, is, is morality. Um, and do you have one coming out then next week as well? What is, what can we plug? What's, what can we? <laughs> I actually don't know what, I, what I have left. Um, I, I just, I've got a lot in there. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. On the spot. We'll find out what it is and we'll put the link in the description. That's what we'll do. Thank um, you. And on top of everything else, you are on your way to being a mom, which yeah. is humongous. That's another link we'll put in the description. We're gonna put the, the baby registry in the description <laughs> of this video. Um, yeah, awesome. Well, yeah. Jenna, I, I have been a huge fan of your work for a long, long time, and now feel fortunate to, to call you one of my friends. And uh, I wanted to talk to you about how you, maybe more than anybody else that comes to mind, you've been so very public about how coming out of a, a religious background that now you are very open and exploring and asking questions and just constantly trying to absorb as much knowledge as possible. Uh, that to me is is basically the Jenna Belk brand is <laughs> is that, is curiosity and, and kindness. And can you tell everybody sort of how, how you came to be this, uh, this force for, for skepticism and curiosity? Uh, long story, short story. <laughs> I like medium story. Uh, yeah. Um, starting well with the ACA, you know, I, I yeah. just became a fresh baby atheist as Eric Murthy had named me at the time uh, and popped up at the ACA and started volunteering for them. And actually it was, I, I had, volunteered call screening for secular sexuality on Thursdays for a few months and then was asked to guest on secular sexuality um, 
because I was very new to that kind of a topic, especially. Um, but it wasn't necessarily the main topic that interested me. So I was trying to keep my my options open. But then it was on nonprofits that I kind of found out that I I might have a different perspective to offer because because it almost seemed like it was kind of normal to be like, oh yeah, you know how Christians do this? Oh yeah, it's crazy, man. Like I don't I don't get it. And I I was like, well, I kind of do because yeah. I was that same way. So I don't know. I kind of I saw an opportunity. Yeah. No, I, I'm with you on that. There's there's all kinds of times where I find people who um, I actually became familiar not too long ago with the term cradle atheists. Have you heard this? Yeah. Right. So there are people out there who just have never had like a, a God belief, who've just kind mm -hmm. of always been free from that, um, which blows my mind, because as a person who was raised in, in you know, sort of the evangelical world, um, that, that was nowhere to be found. Um, and you came out of more of the Catholic background, right? Following the teachings of Cathol, if I'm not mistaken, right? <laughs> Is how that works. Um, what do you think about the Pope, the current one? Um, I hear he's pretty radical, which is all right with me, but I'm against popes. <laughs> I, just, I, just, I just pictured like the Pope, like skateboarding, like in Tony Hawk, you know, like grinding a rail. <laughs> like the Pope's radical. Um, the, okay, against popes, broadly speaking. Um, I, uh, yeah, I, I, I hear people talking about him um, because the Pope has come out and been like, you know, gay people are all right. right. And like atheists aren't necessarily going to go, you know, like to hell which might not even be a thing. Hell might not even be a thing. And people are like, wow, the Pope's really pushing back on stuff. Um, I, there's a lot, there's still a lot of stuff going on that <laughs> I feel like the Pope's not doing. Um, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's a very interesting idea. I mean, so, and, and so I wasn't Catholic. So just to take us briefly detouring into the world of Catholicism, um, is was the understanding when you were were growing up that that the Pope that the Church was infallible? Yes. How deep does that go? I mean, we're we talking like completely like what they say comes directly from the mouth of God, or like generally these guys get it right. Oh, so I actually remember asking my dad about this one time. I asked him like, well, you know, how do we know that Catholicism is the one true religion? Because that's something that we just say all the time. Sure. Um, and I remember him kind of, kind of gently sitting me down and kind of explaining that, well, Catholicism is the one religion that has never changed. That all, <laughs> all of the other religions have changed, but it's the Pope and all of that going on in Italy that is keeping it the same. And that's how we know, like we can trace it all the way back to Jesus and we can prove that it has never, ever changed. And that is basically how we know. I, that, I mean, that's, that's a thing that, that I hear, um, not just from Catholics, but from a variety of religious backgrounds. I've heard that from, from, um, Muslim apologists have said that to me, you know, well, you know, this is the final word of God, the Quran, and it's never changed and it's perfect mm -hmm. as it is. And, um, you know, the idea of, uh, I've been quoting Christopher Hitchens a lot lately. He used to talk about this, the idea of a final solution should make everybody a bit nervous. Mm. The idea of a total solution, you know, the beginning, the beginnings of totalitarianism come from this idea that we have the revealed, unchangeable, unchanging truth. Uh, does that freak you out now? <laughs> like, <laughs> well, but it, 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 
I, don't, I guess it's kind of freeing that mm. I'm that I thought I just I thought I was more. I, where am I going with this? I actually ADHD. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no, just, let's let's meander. I've already talked about the Pope skateboarding. I mean, how <laughs> else this is going, right? Um, it, well, it's, it's an interesting thing. This idea of of having your church be like the one true unchanging thing. I it, it provides a degree of of uh, certainty, leading to a degree of of security and feeling safe in that. I I I would imagine. I know that's where I was coming from with believing that the Bible, you know, had all, all the answers back in the day. Yeah. I mean, I, it was funny is that I, <clears throat> I grew up in a Lutheran town. Hmm. And so the funny, it's funny. So it was a Lutheran town full of people who mostly graduated from A&M or went to A&M, which is, uh, for those who don't know in Texas, it's an agricultural college. So it's, it's a pretty conservative college. <clears throat> and so most of them were Aggies and Lutherans. But then here we come with this big old wagon of seven kids and we're the Catholics that are the Longhorns. Mm. And so the Longhorns are Austin UT football. Right. And they were like the main rivals of the Aggies. And so it was just like in every way we were just like the anti that town. And so we, we kind of had to build up defenses it felt against even that people who were Lutherans. You know? That's interesting. I mean, yeah, there are people who are going to be watching this, um, you know, who are in other countries. Uh, I know for a fact, we get some international viewership uh, and uh, I'm be like, what, what is she talking about? But yeah, for those who don't know, first of all, Aggies is not like a derogatory term. They call themselves that it's, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> it's short for like agriculture ease, I guess. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, but, but, but football, in Texas, these these warring tribes. I mean, football, as 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 a religious movement goes, is nearly as big as Jesus in Texas. <laughs> um, it's really incredible. Well, I mean, just to give an example of how big football is, I mean, it was it was the Thanksgiving thing to do to watch the Longhorn UT the the Aggie UT game on right. Thanksgiving Day. <laughs> right, right, right. Well, yeah. And and the power of ritual and repetition there. Yeah, it gets drilled in, you know, what side are you on? Um, so when you, when you, when you were coming out of your, your religious background, um, did you find this loss of certainty more unsettling or more freeing? It, it sounded like you were saying it was a, a liberation uh, for you. It's so sad to me when I, when I find out that once people lose their religion that they immediately become afraid because I felt the opposite. Mm. I was like, Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you so much. Because there were so many rules that I was told by so many people. And for so many different reasons, it literally like nothing made sense. I was seen as this just difficult child because I was constantly questioning things. So I was like, yeah, but, but he said, this or something, you know, and I'm just so confused about the world. And I like, just, just stop, just let go. I'm like, okay. Yeah. So once I find out that it's, it's not actually, <laughs> it's not actually the, the Neverland <laughs> that I was told about. Yeah. But, but how can you have morals now though? <laughs> I feel like my morals have gotten better because I haven't been so limited by these rules that I'm trying to find and verify, but I can't really because they're not really verified. How how often do you encounter people asking you a variation of that question? You know, with the pandemic, 
I haven't really been encountering a whole lot of people in general. Hmm. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully they come out with their mask and they're like, where's your morality? And you're like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but um, online, online, I get that a lot. Um, I try to use that as an opportunity. You know, so that's the thing. I try to tell the difference between somebody who's asking a question or like asking a question at me. Mm. You know, the people who are like, but where do your morals come from? Like, they're not actually asking. They don't actually want an answer. They don't genuinely want to know. But if anybody asks a question, especially online, you can kind of play innocent and be like, oh, I thought you were genuinely asking because you it seemed like a genuine question. Um, I try to take advantage of that because then I have an opportunity to explain myself, which I feel like they don't get a lot of opportunities uh, of it, to get that kind of exposure, especially if they're asking questions like that. Yeah, that's an interesting. Yeah, it's an interesting point. Active listening takes you so far. Um, so in, with your experience doing all these call in shows, I mean, how often do you feel like when, when you are first engaging with somebody that they're trying to walk you down a path rather than have a conversation? Um, you know, not very often. Hmm. Um, I, it seems the atheist community is full of atheists. Occasionally, you know, you'll come yeah. across an apologetic here and there, but for the most part, it, it's, it's occasional. It's what, well, and it's interesting because as I asked you that last question, I was thinking about how lately I've been finding myself trying to walk people down paths and maybe could do better with the active listening part because I've been running into, I want to, I want to establish like a baseline of like, do we both care about, you know, finding what's true? Can we agree that like, there are better and worse ways to try to find out what's real. Do we, do we agree that we're sharing a reality and that there are truths that can be known, those types of questions. And um, I, I find myself getting very frustrated if I start a conversation and then I'm 20 minutes in with somebody. And then I find out that like, Oh, this person doesn't, we have completely different definitions of like what truth means. And then I mean, now we've got to back up and stuff. So mm. it's a, it's a, it's a, an ever you know, evolving process. Um, how, how have you sort of started to explore in the last few years, you know, uh, redefining your, your epistemology? Um, starting off at square one, starting off at, I don't know. Okay. Okay. That's big. That is yeah, big. That, like I'm talking a year ago. I was walking around saying, I literally know nothing. Hmm. Not kidding. Did you, did you run into the, I mean, for, for myself, for a lot of people that I've spoken with, that's, they, they had to get comfortable with saying that they didn't, for, initially it was saying, I don't know, felt like you were saying there was something wrong with you. Um, Ever since becoming an atheist, I would say that I, that, again, that kind of gives me the opposite feeling. Like when I found out that I was wrong, when I was a, Catholic or Christian or agnostic or however I identified when I found out I was wrong, I felt like I was at fault. I felt like, mm. oh man, well, that if that's wrong, then that means that I've been doing this wrong for so long or something. And it just, right. just kind of added up. But it seems like now when I find out I'm wrong, well, that means that now I'm right. Well, yeah. Or, or one step closer to being there. Yeah. I, uh, uh, it's funny you mentioned 
hosting the nonprofits because I I just recorded my first nonprofits a couple of nights ago. I'm so excited. Yay. But we talked about this. We talked about I don't know being the beginning of starting to get toward, you know, hopefully being less wrong or maybe even right. <laughs> you know, um, if you were to identify one key feature of sound epistemology, what would it be? Uh, the way I asked this question uh, when I interviewed Eric Murphy months ago and have asked it this way since, if you could wave a magic wand and give everybody one tool to help them have better epistemology, what would you what would you give them? I would give them the ability to compare the way that they came to their conclusions and how somebody else can come can use that same way to come to a different conclusion. Mm. The ability to look through another person's eyes. That's so interesting. You know, one, this has been my favorite question that I've been asking doing this and interviewing all these amazing people um, is everybody has answered it differently. And I keep asking myself, will this be the the time that I get like a repeat answer? And it just, it hasn't happened yet. <laughs> this is, a, this is so much fun. So, okay. That's so interesting because that's, that's where I, I, I tend to go with people when we're talking about the value of faith as a, as a mechanism for finding what's real or what's true is this idea that different people can use this, this tool to find wildly different, uh, you know, conclusions and results. Um, is that where you tend to go with people or is it just more broad than that? Um, you know, I, so that's the thing is I kind of tend to take less of a leading approach, mm. a kind of more, a more defensive approach. Well, you lead me. Where are you going? What are you interested in? Let's talk about that. Because I found that every time I try to take people down rabbit holes, they're not following. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah, I could, I could probably get better at that. That's. We all can. Yeah. Well, okay. So helping people see that they can, once you get them there to seeing not leading there, but following them there to being, you know, okay, so you came to this conclusion and someone else could use the same method to get to a different one. Do you find that that's a stopping point for them of, of having to like step back and think more or that that leads them uh, sort of in real time to, to exploring that? It's hard to say. Um, Cause like I said, I haven't had a whole lot of like face-to-face -face conversations like this. It's a lot mm -hmm. of been, been online. So when I do conversations like this online, it, it generally takes a lot more time. Um, it's a lot more respond to this and that maybe, and then come back to it again later, like a day or two even later, because it's just such as those conversations, there's so many steps, they take so much thought that I, I really don't like rushing those. Sure, sure. It's interesting, you talk about one thing that you have done face-to-face, -face, you've gone out with Anthony Magnabosco and actually had this these face to face conversations. What yeah, was that like? That was really cool because <laughs> he he was along with uh, Matt and Christopher Hitchens. He was one of the first people uh, that helped me start to kind of build my own foundation. And I'm so glad that somebody recommended him to me so early on, mm -hmm. because instead of trying to go straight into the debate world and trying to break down apologetics and and get into all of the the rules and all that, I kind of got to start over from questions. Mm -hmm. And I love that because it's such a to me, it's such a more a more honest position considering we're not asserting anything. Sure. Sure. Yeah. That's a, that's a that's a hard place for a lot of people to to get to is recognizing 
where burdens of proof are and being mindful of the claims that they're making versus the claims other people are making and who actually has the burden of proof when it comes mm. to, you know, substantiating various claims. Yeah. Um, I, uh, this week, uh, saw there was a thread on Reddit, um, in this, uh, I've been fascinated lately with, with QAnon mm. and conspiracy theories. And there was a guy who posted about how he'd been de-radicalized from being sort of an internet conspiracy theory guy and started to ask better questions and, and learn where he was wrong. And he actually, this is not a religious, um, you know, forum per se that he was posing this and it was strictly political, but he shouted out Anthony and he said, I would urge anybody who wants to ask better questions to check out Anthony Magnabosco and his work. Um, so I, I completely agree with you in the, yeah. in the value of that starting from questions. Um, speaking of questions, where do you see bad epistemology manifesting most obviously, or, or maybe most, uh, sort of aggressively in the world today? Mm. Ooh, that's a good question. Thank you. Probably in relationships. Ooh. Okay. Like I want to tug at that string. Yeah. Like, how do you mean? I mean that it's a lot of it's based on tradition, it seems. Okay. Well, this is what was done to me. Or this okay. is, what, you know, it seems like it's, it's, and that's the way it's been, to be fair, you know, since for generations and generations, forever since humans have existed, it's been, well, this is what happened to me and this is what I liked and didn't like. So I'm yeah. going to go from there. <clears throat> but it seems like we, we have an opportunity now to learn not from a traditional standpoint, but from like a objective standpoint, what is healthier? Um, how do, how, how am I, how am I trying to? Well, how much do we accept as quote unquote normal just because we saw it from, you know, our parents and other, you know, people in our lives? Well, I think uh, about spanking is, was kind of the first thing I think. Oh of. boy. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Like that's like the main punishment that that it seems that people that I've been exposed to tend to go to. Um, and it's, it's just, I've, I've just discovered so much harm from it. And it's like, well, God, like if that's done that much harm to me, I wonder how much it's harm, harm it's done to all these other people that I know were spanked. And I wonder how much, how much better people they can be. Cause I'm not saying that they're bad people, but I'm just a much better person since I've been learning about things like that and how to, the effects and how to counter them. Well, I know you've been looking, we, we talked about this a, a few days ago. You said that you've been reading a lot uh, in the world of like child development, trying to, you know, you're, you're preparing like a responsible yeah. adult who's about to have a kid. <laughs> Isn't it crazy that there's no, there's not, there's no requirements at all. Anybody can just have a kid. If you, if you want to drive a car, you've got to get a license. You know, if you want to, if you want to open a barbershop, you've got to get licensed as like, <laughs> you, but if you, but if you want to just create a life, <laughs> you can just, yeah. just go for it. Just download all your bullshit into some little baby's head. Why not? <laughs> Nobody's yeah. stopping you. Um, but yeah, with spanking, how, how deep have you looked into this and, and sort of the statistics on this and, and the, what the, the world of, of people who work in child development have to say about, you know, the, the effects of corporal punishment? Um, well, I've listened to the Parenting Beyond Belief podcast quite a bit. Mm. Um, which is a podcast that the ACA did put on a little while back and then stopped. Um, but it's still out there. I highly recommend people check it out. Um, I actually called in one day <laughs> and 
And they were like, well, are, are you a parent or, and I was like, no, but you know, one day I might be. So. Yeah. Will it be, will we be resurrected with mama Jenna at the yeah, helm of the much. parenting beyond belief? That would be awesome. <laughs> That'd be pretty cool. Um, where was I going? What were we talking about? Um, Spanking. You were listening to uh, corporate punishment, the effect of this has on kids psychologically. So, so I, I got to, I got my kind of parenting gears turning that way. And then I got to talking to Dale McGowan and actually interviewed him, um, who he wrote the Parenting Beyond Belief book. Um, and he's just very, very, I mean, just look him up. He, he's got podcasts. He's got, he's got all, all kinds of stuff. Um, I would say that uh, I haven't looked into it a whole lot on my own. If that makes any sense. Like I haven't personally researched the statistics. What I've been doing is I've been talking to experts. Yeah. Um, which I know that that's in some ways frowned upon, but I mean, that's kind of all we have really, if you think about it. Um, but anyway, it's just, he, he, the way, the way that he broke it down was basically that the two ways that we know are harmful are to physically harm your child and to embarrass your child. So humiliation mm. and physical punishment are the two worst things that we know of that you can do to your kid. And those were both used. I mean, those just seem so common. Um, but it's because they're so effective right away mm. that it reassures to people that it's working. But I am evidence it did not work. <laughs> Well, the humiliation uh, thing. I mean, that's, you talk about the effects of like adults coping with shame. Right. That's, that's huge. Um, God. Well, I mean, that, that'll be interesting. I, I hope I planted a seed with you resurrecting that prod, that podcast. And I'm using the word resurrecting on purpose because <laughs> I'm hoping to trigger some people with that. Um, they're like, he's not using that word respectfully. Nope. I'm not. Um, what do you do about Santa with your, with your kid? Have you thought about this one? Yeah. Um, I'm kind of going to, what I want to do is kind of what Neil deGrasse Tyson does. So I listened to an interview. He said that uh, his daughter or some, uh, one of his daughters, I think wanted to find out if there was a tooth fairy. Okay. And they said that what they did is they said, well, you tell us. Yeah. They gave her the opportunity to investigate a claim. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the perfect way to start. That's yeah. That's my take too. I had a, I had a long and interesting call with, uh, with my, my pal Larry about this, uh, because he's, he's very pro Santa and he's talked about how he wants his kids to uh, embrace that to him, the Christmas spirit, the Christmas message is all about hope and generosity and that there's these values that he wants to instill in his kids and that he finds that both the the uh, you know nativity message, Jesus coming to save us from our sins, and also Santa are useful for giving kids these these values. What would your response to something like that be? I I'd say sure. <laughs> you know, I I'm personally just from what I've learned going to try to take less of the approach of I'm going to raise my kid too. Hmm. I'm going to be me and I'm going to try to lead by example and be there for my kid when they need me, because that's what I've come to think that parenting is. I've come to believe that 
parenting is not having a little helper to clean you around the house and, you know. Um, That's the thing it. I'm most looking forward to. Are you kidding me? Giving him chores? It's going to be awesome. I'm not going to have to do stuff anymore. Giving them chores, yes, but <laughs> you know what I mean. <laughs> but you know, I'm it's, sorry. I, yeah, no, I know. I mean, you, you're, yeah, you, you're, you're not trying to produce a little clone. You're trying to teach them more how to think than what to think is what it sounds like. Well, not even, it's not, that's the thing is maybe I'm trying to change the way that we use the word teach. You know, the way that I experienced the word teach was force me to think like you. Mm. <clears throat> what I want to try to do is to turn teach and show me how to do it. And interesting. Give me the opportunity to mess up. Make me feel like it's okay to mess up because I will. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting. I've never really thought about breaking down possible negative connotations with teach. But now that you're saying these things, I'm being reminded of bad teachers that I've had. The ones who did use, you know, shame and fear and, and such to yeah, control and and dogma. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, we talked about, you know, where do you see bad epistemology manifesting in the world? And I loved your answer. Where do you see bad epistemology manifesting in your own life? If we, if we sort of turn the, the mirror on you. Hmm. Hmm. That's a good question too. I asked that question specifically because I'm really trying to break down this this idea that people who are skeptics or who are atheists um, are arrogant or that they think that they're enlightened, that mm. they're above being wrong because holy shit, we're wrong all the time. Um, so having people talk about, you know, it, as best as they can where their own blind spots are, um, I'm, I'm hoping that we can break down some, some stigmas. Probably social media. Uh-oh. You know, so I used to be that kind of person that would just scroll and see a title that I thought was crazy and share it. Mm. Now I'm I, I'm not going to lie. I've made that mistake a couple of times uh, since becoming an atheist. But that's something that I'm trying very, very hard to stop doing to to double check sources and fact check. When you say that mistake, do you mean when where you like share something because you think it's right? And then someone's like, hold mm -hmm. on. It's right. Yeah. I hate to, I've done that more times than I'd like to admit it may it's made me very hesitant to share stuff at all because yeah. it's like, but that we should be, we should, yeah. we need, we need like, uh, you know how, when you're doing Photoshop or something and it says, are you sure you want to quit? <laughs> I think we should are have, you a, sure you want to share? Want to share? <laughs> there's, um, I, there's a, I don't remember which platform I was on. There was a news story that I saw someone had tweeted and I, I subscribe to a couple newspapers. So I'd already read the story and then I saw someone retweeted it. And I was like a few hours later and I was like, Oh, you know what? I want to, I want to, I think it was Twitter. It might've been Facebook, but I wanted to share this thing. And when I went to share, I got a window that came up that was like, you didn't read the article. Are you sure you want to share it? And I was like, Awesome. Oh. That, I was like, I did read the article just because you don't know I read the article. Doesn't mean I didn't read the article, but that, I like that. Yeah. So I wish every platform had that. I wish I remembered which one it was that did that to me. That's cool. Um, but well, there, I remember the last one that I did, I think, was there was a picture 
that said this is Joel Osteen's house and he's getting like $300 million uh, or something for the pandemic and you're getting yeah. this. And I was like, whoa, I was like, wait a second, is that real? And so like, I, I fact checked the number and I fact checked the other things. I didn't fact check whether or not that was his house. Okay. That just didn't even occur to me as something to fact check until people started commenting, actually that's not his house, that's Kim Kardashian's house. Oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, wow. Like, oh, I thought they lived together. My bad. Mm, I mean, I, minus the house, this still stands. <laughs> you know, but I mean, gosh, Joel Osteen. Oh boy. Go down such a rabbit track with the the massive uh, you know, wealth of those guys and their tax exempt mega churches. Um where okay, so I uh I've heard like Arn Ra talk about how in Dallas there's more mega churches there than anywhere else, like per capita. How how are there mega churches around where you're at? Right there, right up the hill. <laughs> oh shit! Okay, yeah. there's there's several close to me. Have you ever been to one? Yes. Um, when I first moved to Austin, there's there's a church that's right off of Caesar Chavez. So it's like it's right off the river. It's a really central part of town. It's like very easy for basically anybody in Austin to get to. And I think it was actually in a high school the mm -hmm. service was held in a high school gym. And I went with a friend uh, that I was waiting tables with. Cause he was like, Hey, I had this real friend, real fun church. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. You know, I'm, and I was still Catholic at the time, but I was curious and I came and I just remember walking in and everybody was like, just happy and singing and like talking the whole time. And I was just was raised in such like reverence, <laughs> you know, just, don't turn around. Don't, you know, don't talk. I was like, oh, weird. <laughs> I, so I, I've never been to a Catholic mass. I went to, so there was, it was like a funeral mass when my grandfather died and I was like six years old. Um, but other than that, I've never been. And there's a, uh, there's a Catholic church like 90 feet that way. Um, and I like my, my property of my house here, the backs up right to a Catholic school. Oof. And, uh, and it's wild. This, I mean, my neighborhood is like super duper, super duper Catholic. And, uh, I've, I'm, I've, I've, I've been wondering, like, should I just, should I just check it out one time? Like go to a mass? Is it an experience that I need to like enrich my life and gain some perspective or am I doing okay with that? <laughs> if I lived next door to it, I would definitely attend it at least once. What's interesting is this, this church. So they have, so I was talking to my, my neighbor, um, this is, this is, I don't know why we're even talking about this, but we're going to keep doing it. So my neighbor is like third generation in this house and the school has, you can see where the original school was and then where they built an addition and then where they built another addition because the bricks are a little different. Mm. And he's like, so yeah, it's like, so my grandpa went there and then my mom went there and then I went there kind of, at the, and it's like, wow. And, uh, and he was like, this used to be like a, a Polish neighborhood and now it's like 90% Latino. And so they only do one English language service in the morning which it, on Sundays it's like six o'clock in the morning and there's like six Whoa. people that go. And then the rest of the day, it's like jam packed full of people from everybody else in the neighborhood with Spanish language services. Cool. Um, yeah. Yeah. So progress of a kind, <laughs> but, but yeah, I kind of want to go to the like, you know, super early morning English service just once and check it out. I'm weird. I I'd get freaked out and walk out and, and it would like hurt people's feelings. <laughs> um, I don't, I don't know if people would care, 
Yeah, maybe but not. Also, when there's only six people, I don't know. <laughs> it's like super obvious, right? Yeah. Yeah. I would sit I, in the back and <laughs> be like, I'm just questioning. Just. Yeah. People are devout um, though in this, in, in my neighborhood. They're, they're very serious about it. Um, well, but I, I'd like to go to the, the Latin mass because uh, the church that I grew up going to had like a nine or nine thirty English mass. And then right after had an 11 o'clock uh, Spanish mass. And I had a friend from my school that went to that mass. And so mm -hmm. what I would do is I would go to church with my family and then I would stay and go to church with her and then go home for, with her for the day. So that my parents didn't have to drive back and forth because we lived a little bit away. And so I got very familiar with the Latin mass in that town. And I actually enjoyed it so much more. <laughs> when you say Latin, when you say Latin, are you saying they, they give it like in, in Latin or do you mean like, I'm like sorry, not Spanish? Latin. I'm, I'm I got I'm, excited. Like I, the idea of going and, and hearing like something in Latin, that sounds actually like something I would want to go to. Cause I, I would feel like I was like, you know, going back in time or something. They have some really good Latin masses in St. Louis. That's, I think that's close to you. Yeah. Um, I should check it out. St. Or DeSales, Francis DeSales or Thomas DeSales, something DeSales is uh, the Latin mass that my dad loved. Is it, that's the thing. I So I, I'm fairly, it's funny because coming out of being an evangelical, my my focus is so squarely on Christianity mm. um, uh, in like a very American Protestant kind of way because that was what I knew. Um, I need to, I need to learn more about, about this stuff. Um, but uh, I mean, well, they also had to wear mantillas. What is that? Uh, so the women, kind of like how like uh, Jewish boys wear hats. Yeah. Uh, Catholic girls who at least attend Latin masses, at least wear mantillas, which is like a lace head cover. Okay. Because you're not supposed to show your hair. It's an interesting thing how people, you know, pick different things and, and what they value and what they take seriously. Because this idea of like women keeping their heads covered um, is something that I, I knew people when I was growing up who took that seriously when they were in church. They would wear a, a, a little cloth covering over their heads. Um, other people would say, we don't have to do that anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it is interesting to see where people pay attention and sort of, I mean, everybody does that. I think with the Bible to a certain extent, they treat it like a buffet, you know, it's like, I want, okay, that that's, I want some of that, that no, that's, that's kind of gross. I'm going to leave that over there. Like, it's like, well, but I mean, that was actually one of the reasons that I started straying away from Catholicism. Cause I'd been told don't be a cafeteria Catholic my whole yeah. life. And then finally I kind of came to the point where I was like, well, I just don't believe that it is a sin to have sex with a partner before you marry them because I had learned through my own experiences that I, I was glad that I had slept with someone before I married him. And I was like, okay, well I'm doing that from now on. And so I was talking <laughs> about it and they're like, well, you can't be a cafeteria Catholic. I was like, well, I guess I'm not Catholic then. Hmm. Have you ever watched, um, there was a, there was a debate years ago again, I'm coming back to Chris Hitchens again. This is, this is bizarre. He's been at the forefront of my mind lately. Um, that, uh, there was the, a debate that was done that was, is the Catholic church a force for good in the world? Mm. There's, there's this, this incredible uh, organization called intelligence squared. If you haven't heard about this, I think you'd enjoy checking it out. They have a debate format where what they do is they'll have their motion. They debate all kinds of things um, where they'll say, okay, we've got, you know, is something like, is the Catholic church a force for good in the world? And they'll pull the audience and the audience will vote yes or no. Then they'll have the debate. Ooh. And then right before closing statements, they pull the audience again and whichever side changes the most minds is the, is the winner. Mm. Um, the one about the Catholic church is, is one of my all time favorites. Um, 
Okay, we're running short on time. I got to get to the last question that I ask everybody. How do you think we should communicate the importance or the value of, of sound epistemology to people? Mm, that's interesting because my go-to is typically to use epistemology, but you can't really use that. <laughs> mm. You can't really ask people questions to make a point necessarily. I, I think it's little by little. I think that it is just question by question. Showing people questions that they've never been exposed to. Because almost every question that Anthony Magnabosco uses in his little like spiel um, were questions that I'd never heard, I'd never even thought of. The mm. questions themselves. So I think that if every now and then somebody makes a statement and one of those questions applies, to not even take the full-on street epistemology approach, but to just ask the question here and there and just kind of kind of like Anthony says, pebble in a shoe. Because mm, um, yeah. I think that's the only thing that creates real change is from within. Like, I, I, I can't change anybody. I can ask you a question. That is a valuable perspective to have. I know a lot of folks who get frustrated because they, they feel like they want to save people and you can't. You can't. That's the point is that I found that, you, you know, they, they always, they've always, I've always heard that volunteering, you know, giving back, donating, it's always good. And I never understood why until I started doing it. And I was like, well, because it makes me, it, it settles that voice in my head. That's telling me that I'm not doing enough. Yeah. I'm like, no, no, I am <laughs> now. <laughs> Well, so. and you are, you are sort of ever present. You spend an awful lot of time and an awful lot of energy being a positive force in the, the greater online and IRL skeptic communities. Um, it is an absolute pleasure getting to, getting to talk to you every time. I, I appreciate you coming in today. Uh, speaking of charities and donating to stuff, uh, Jenna does have a Patreon, and we're going to put that link uh, down in the description, as well as a whole bunch of other links of where you can find Jenna. Um, what do you have coming up? What can we, I know I asked this earlier, but, but you know, before we, before we take off, what, where do people find you? Where, what do you have coming up that people can be excited about tuning into? Um, well, so Twitch and YouTube that we mentioned earlier, um, I am moving in the next couple weeks. So I actually, I, I'm just so excited. I'm going to finally be able to have like a whole studio and organize my life rather than have a desk that I'm rolling around to different places and things. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to do some touch-ups and some adjustments and add on to Genesis where I'm doing my meditations. I'm going to do different parts. So there's a lot coming. Um, just keep an eye out. Awesome. Good thing. Yeah. We'll put links in. Those are Jenna Belk originals hanging behind you as well. Yes. To give people a sense of what happens on Carrot Noises, which everybody <laughs> should check out. Awesome. Well, we will uh, we'll be back with more interviews soon. Jenna, thank you so much for, for coming on. And we're going to be actually on... There's a, a, a fundraiser that we're participating in as, as hosts coming up next Thursday. Do you want to tell people about, about that? Yes. Uh, Ethan Michael is celebrating his year of putting out videos and is doing that by bringing money to Recovering from Religion, which is an organization that we have found in this community is incredibly helpful. It's a nonprofit that people can call anytime they have any trouble coming out of religion, any questions, because Kenneth and I both know that's that's tough. Yep. Uh, you, you don't know who to talk to. You don't know where to go. And so this is a really good starting point of people that have been through 
probably something like what you've been through. Um, and so it's not, it's not a professional counseling service, but it's, it's something to get you through until you can get, uh, something more, you know, consistent. Um, but yeah, so we, he's got like, I don't know what, two dozen. It's incredible. I mean, it's yes. been huge. I mean, one of the things that RFR does that's so useful is helping people realize that there is a community that yes. they, you know, because that's one of the things that keeps people in, in religion is feeling like they're part of a community. Um, and then they feel isolated or alone oftentimes when they, when they separate from, from that. Mm -hmm. Um, so Ethan has been huge for the last year, just plugging Ethan here. Cause Ethan's awesome, um, in creating a community and bringing people together. So he's, he's worked his little ass off bringing a, like two dozen incredible people together for this event on Thursday. I'll, I'll put a, a link to the, the, um, commercial that they have, uh, the, the advertisement that Ethan made for, for this event. So if you want to see more of Jenna and I, and also a whole bunch of amazing people, um, come check us out Thursday over on that channel. We'll put that link in the description as well. And that's something that I love about Ethan is that, um, he, you know, he was your friendly neighborhood atheist starting out and he's becoming more of a community builder and trying yeah. to build your friendly neighborhood community. Yeah. <laughs> your friendly yeah. atheist community. Yeah. Well, and it's awesome. There's a number of people who are, who are, you know, stepping up as, as leaders who are doing incredible work. You're one of them. Ethan's one of them. I adore you both. Jenna, thanks again for being here. Thank you for inviting awesome. me. All right.